0: Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for today's message is taken from our gospel reading from the third chapter of St. John, with an emphasis on these words. Jesus said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This is our text, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, amen. You know, friends, when I was a teenager, about to enter college, I found myself in a state of what I can only now today describe as kind of a a stupefied lethargy regarding my Christian faith. I'm certain that many of us here today can remember at one time or another feeling that same way about their personal faith. Bored, listless, and angry about who knows what, I I had begun to take the religious tradition I grew up with for granted. And so, in equal measure academic curiosity and a desire to see how the Lutheran confessions, which I knew so well, stood up to more ancient traditions, like Greek mythology, Hinduism, and Islam, I adopted as my major, my freshman year in college, the study of comparative religion. Now, what I found in those four years served to revive my enthusiasm for Christianity and for the Lutheran church in particular. It set me on on the path to seminary studies, and and far more importantly, it reawoken in, in me a genuine hunger for the Word and the sacraments. But, I hear you ask, how did all of this come to be? Well, I would most succinctly describe my course of study in undergrad as a scholastic approach to answer a pretty universal question. That question is, who is God? Needless to say, this particular approach took me to some kind of interesting places. For example, how many of you here this morning are are familiar with the ancient Nordic god of mischief, Loki? Yeah, you've heard that name before. And no, I'm not referring to the hunky Marvel Comics Tom Holland, uh, Loki, or wait, Tom Hiddleston. I always get those guys confused. Um, As his name would imply, though, Loki is a very, very interesting character. He's, He's famous for getting into these humorous, bizarre, and oftentimes humiliating exploits among which were included but not limited to turning his girlfriend into a nut so that he could carry her around in his pocket wherever he went. That story's pretty cute, but then he also got romantically involved with a horse in order to avoid losing a bet with a titan. That was less cute. And, of course, who could forget the time that he shaved his sister-in-law's head while she was sleeping? Humorous stories, for sure, but... I don't think I'd want to stake my salvation on Loki. Well, what about Ishtar, the Sumerian god of war and fertility? Why these two kind of strange things, you might ask? Well, Ishtar, as it turned out, had a reputation for having many different suitors whom, after a while, she would grow bored with and then ritually slaughter. However, when she failed to seduce the wise king Gilgamesh, the two supposedly engaged in a centuries-long war, which concluded with her being cast into the underworld. But that was not the end. Ishtar eventually returned to seek revenge by having her dear husband Dumuzi take her place. An epic tale of conquest, to be sure, but if you ask me, Ishtar hardly seems like a god worthy of praise and thanksgiving. Well then, what about a more modern God? What about a God whom people worship to this very day? I'm talking about Allah, from Christianity's closest competing world religion, Islam. Now while it is true that the name Allah itself is a general Aramaic term for the word God, and while it's also true that Christianity and Islam share many overlapping narratives from the Old Testament in particular, it has to be acknowledged by both Christians and Muslims the world over that the God whom they worship simply as Allah is in no way the same God that we hear about in the Christian faith. For Allah does not associate with humanity in a familial way, but rather in an empiric way. He is confessed by Islam to be unknowable and yet All powerful. He is said to observe and occasionally interact with the natural world that we occupy, but he has no personal vested interest in it. As such, what we often see from Allah, from the Islamic holy books, is that his judgments are usually arbitrary, or they may hinge frequently on what humanity does or fails to do to please him. As such, within Islam, the structure of the law is based entirely upon how best to avert invoking God's wrath through ritual and rigid observance to several fatwas or commands which demonstrate one's loyalty to Allah's dominion. To confess Allah is, in essence, to confess a mode of salvation which is entirely dependent upon you, upon your works upon your righteousness and obedience. And so, to put your faith in Allah is more accurately interpreted to be putting your faith in yourself. Now, from a secular humanist perspective, this might sound encouraging, but friends, I have to be honest with you. I I don't trust myself enough. I, I am not content enough with my good works to say confidently that I, anything I have done, could possibly merit forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation. Now, why this laundry list? Well, I recall all these things to you, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, because they provide us with a fascinating framework by which you and I might examine the God of our faith and the way that He reveals Himself to us in the Holy Scriptures. For today is Trinity Sunday. And what do we do on Trinity Sunday? we pause to magnify the divine mystery that is the very essence of our God, namely the confession of the Holy Trinity. The Holy Trinity, as we believe it, says that God is one. He is not many, but yet within that oneness there dwell three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God chooses to reveal himself to us in this Trinitarian mystery for a very important purpose. It's not akin to a law, not not something meant to test our faith or to throw us off to weed out the real believers from from the phonies. No, each of these three persons in the Godhead performs a very specific function which brings us light and life and salvation. As Father, first and foremost, God created us. And He created all that we can see and feel and experience within the known universe. It is according to His divine plan and benevolence that we come into being, and it is by His grace that we have all that we need daily to support this body and life, as the reformer Martin Luther confessed. And secondly, as God the Son God enters into our very creation in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Our God lived as we lived, with all of our natural limitations and a natural life cycle very much like ours. The only way that He wasn't like us, in fact, was that Jesus did not sin. And so, in His sacrificial death upon Calvary's cross for us, the Son paid the price of our sinful disobedience, and in so doing, he conferred upon you and me, sinners, his righteousness. And so he was able to guarantee life for us eternally in his kingdom. Lastly, as the Holy Spirit, who we spent much of last week pondering to reflect upon, God makes this Christian religion his own. He he makes himself known to us not by selfish whims or impulses, not by acts which serve only to glorify himself or to satisfy some kind of base urge, but he makes himself known in the church through acts of love and charity. This God, whom we confess rightly to be the one and only God, for he alone has made himself known to us in this way, this God deals with us not by what we have done for him, or by what we have failed to do for him. He is not the God of mischief. He is not the God of war. He is not the God of law or of fertility. Ours is the God of mercy. For he does not deal with us according to sin. He does not deal with us according to our wrongdoing. He does according to the perfect righteousness which was displayed by Christ Jesus. Ours is a God who desires to love us as a father loves his own dear children. This world-changing knowledge of God is given to us. It's revealed to us in the church by none other than God himself, God the Son, specifically Jesus Christ, as he speaks to us from today's gospel reading. In John 3, particularly verses 16 and 17, Jesus utters probably the most famous words in all of the Holy Scriptures. I want you to hear them again and really reflect on what Jesus reveals to you about your God when he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, But in order that the world might be saved through him. Friends, on a typical Sunday, I'd probably open up more of this passage and try to demonstrate to you how it all relates one verse to another. I might give you some other references or proof texts from the scriptures in order to help you understand what is being communicated to you here in the gospel. But on this Holy Trinity Sunday, I want to take a slightly different approach. I want to pause and underscore the simple beauty and the profound comfort of these two verses. For in their short 49 words, they encapsulate succinctly all that you and I need to know about our God. They are the very bedrock of our faith. Let's think again about what it is that Jesus is saying to us. Let's identify God by the actions that are displayed to us in John 3, verses 16 and 17. What were the action words you heard? What were the verbs? Well, let's revisit them. First off, love. For ours is a God who loves what he created. Gave. For ours is a God who gives of himself for the sake of sinners. Next, we have send. For ours is a God who does not call on one of us to accomplish salvation for mankind, but who takes the burden upon himself in our stead. Condemn. For ours is a just and righteous God who does not abide sin. Indeed, he cannot. But in his majesty, he pronounces right judgment upon it. And then finally, saved. For ours is a God who was not content that each of us should be judged by our works unto our own damnation, but instead desired that we would be reconciled to him and so receive life everlasting. Thus by these words, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, the study of comparative religion for me was revealed to be no comparison at all. For no God of man's imagining can in any meaningful way compare to the triune God in power, in majesty, in righteousness, and most of all, in mercy. For in all the ways that our God could have ever chosen to make himself known to us, still as Father, as Son, and as Holy Spirit, he works for our good to reveal Not his plan of wrath and judgment, but of salvation. God deals with us mercifully. May we then, dear friends, in joyful response, glorify him by all that we say and do. That his name would be made known to all peoples who are still seeking an answer to that question which so burdened me in my youth. Who is God? How do we know God? Well, in the Bible, we see that he can be called by many names. Yahweh, Elohim, Emmanuel, Adonai, El Shaddai, Jesus Christ. But however you reference him, dear friends, just know that he is and he remains your God of mercy. The God who loved you so that he sacrificed everything for you. The God who knew you before you were You, the God who desires that you would know him as your own dear father. In his most holy name, amen. May the peace of God, which far surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord and our God, unto life everlasting. Amen.